from the newsroom of The Washington Post. Hi, this is Tracy Jan calling from The Post. Am I catching President Trump, how are you? Hi, it's Robin Gibbon at The Washington Post. This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Friday, July 12th. Today, how Black musicians are reclaiming country music. And the enduring lore of an African mermaid goddess long before the backlash against the new Little Mermaid. If you recognize that song, it's probably because it's a strong contender for the song of 2019. Old Town Road is a song by Lil Nas X, who is a 20-year-old singer from Atlanta who was completely unknown before he uploaded Old Town Road onto SoundCloud and TikTok, and it blew up into a huge meme and became a massive hit. And now it has been number one on the Billboard charts for 14 weeks. That's Emily Yar. She's an entertainment reporter for The Post. And before Old Town Road reached number one on the Hot 100 Billboard chart, it was on the country chart, at least for a while. Because it blew up so fast, it went to number 19 on the Billboard Hot Country charts, which measures um, radio play, but more importantly, like streaming and sales. So it's unclear, like, who exactly complain to Billboard or if Billboard noticed this, but um, the song was removed from the country chart when it hit 19. And this isn't the first time that something like this has happened. Back in 2016, there was huge backlash when Beyonce performed her song Daddy Lessons with the Dixie Chicks at the Country Music Association Awards. These moments highlight how contemporary country music is largely closed to Black people. And part of that is because the country music establishment in Nashville is still mostly run by white men. The thing to understand about Nashville is that Nashville is synonymous with country music. And when I say country music, I mean, you know, establishment country music. This is where all of the major labels and song publishers um, are headquartered, and they're the ones who typically uh, help make the decisions about what will be classified as country music and what will be played on country radio. Well, Nashville is known as Music City, and it has become a country music capital. That's Dina Bennett, senior curator of the National Museum of African American Music, which opens in Nashville in 2020. However, it has deep musical roots in African-American musical traditions. Lots of musicians came through and performed at numerous clubs. And so there's always been an African-American musical presence in Nashville. But I think that's been superimposed by country music. Folk and Appalachian music, which is all a huge part of growing up in Tennessee, you hear so much country, folk, and Appalachian music, and not just that, but in the church that I attended, the music that we sang, many of the songs were done by acts like the Carter family or Hank Williams or people of that sort. Valerie June is a singer-songwriter. She sings a variety of genres, including country. She's been playing the banjo for years. And she's Black. Even to your own family, you have to say to them, well, you do know the banjo is an African instrument, right? You know, and you have to walk them back through that. And it's like, 
that's when the question came to me, when did we forget? And Dina Bennett says that having an understanding of Black history might help people understand that, at its root, country music was Black music. I don't think a lot of people associate the banjo with Africa, but it is a a derivative of an African instrument. Enslaved people would have to entertain the master, his friends or her friends, the mistress friends, and they would be engaged to play and, and to entertain the guest. And so many enslaved people would play the violin or the fiddle or the, the other instruments at, at the time that are associated with string bands and such. That, in turn, led to the creation of other genres of music powered by Black people. Those things eventually gave rise to the playing of the blues and then the, the, the fiddle falling away and the guitar emerging as a main instrument of blues. Country music, you know, if you look back in the, uh, the 19th century and early 20th century, African-Americans, particularly in the South, would play all kinds of music. Quite a few lived in rural settings and would play many instruments, the guitar, the harmonica, the fiddle, folk styles, blues. Country music is really an outgrowth of those genres. We should appreciate the root of what we do. And that is country, and that is blues, and that is folk. We do that as well as White folks do it as well as the English, as well as the Irish, as well as African folk music. You know, we have a part in it. We are a part of the soundtrack of country music. And so it's really kind of beautiful when you look at it and you say, hey, uh, it is American. It's not just white. It's not just black. It's American. So if there are all these diverse roots in country music, how did it become white? Dina points to the growth of commercial recording and marketing as early as the 1920s. They began to, if you will, segregate the listening audience. And African-Americans recorded music that marketers put a label on, and they called that race music. So that would be blues, jazz, and gospel. They were seen as music that was recorded by African-Americans for African-Americans. And then your country music or your hillbilly music or however you want to, to label that or country and Western was music that was made by white people for white audiences. In fact, one black country singer, Charlie Pride, was a huge success in the 70s, but he was marketed in a very specific way. With uh, Charlie Pride, you know, when he first started out, they did not reveal or, or print anything with his face on it. Most people didn't even know he was African-American. They didn't want him to record any love songs. You know, we can't have him singing, you know, to these blonde-haired, blue-eyed chicks out here. So, you know, those are, those are music industry type of decisions, and, and, you know, they make the calls on that. But it does seem like some of their efforts have, have kept the music separated from other genres. That sense of division in Nashville, the center of American country music, that was still a thing when Valerie June started her career a few years ago. Well, when you say like the system of Nashville or like the like the old Nashville, like what are you talking about? I'm talking about 
any limitations that would not honor people like D. Ford Bailey or, you know, any of the people of color who has contributed to country music. So so basically that there was a sense that that at least for the old Nashville or the more traditional like country music gatekeepers that that is maybe a place that that wouldn't be totally receptive to to you and your music. Would old Nashville be receptive to me and my music? Hmm. I don't know. I don't think they would. I really don't. Mm -hmm. I don't think old Nashville would. But old Nashville is very particular about what they are receptive of. In fact, Valerie didn't even start her country career in this country. I did not choose to go to Europe. Europe called me with a record deal. I was first signed in Europe like a lot of African-American artists. And I feel like that kind of helped the states and people over here to be interested in what I was doing in a commercial way or label way, I'll say. I think that kind of like goes into every form of our lives. We think we have these ideas about how a person is going to be. But once we can get to the heart of them, then we can see that just because someone's skin color is this way doesn't make them that. Or just because they are male or female doesn't make them this, that or the other. It makes us break down all of those barriers that being in these bodies can put up. Well, it's it's funny what, what you're describing. That basically happened to me in encountering your music where I had a Spotify playlist on and and then I heard this song Astral Plane and I was like god this is so beautiful is there a light you have inside you can't touch and really soulful and and it sort of sounds like country but it also sounds kind of ethereal in a cool way and then i saw when i like went to put it on my favorites i saw the the image of you that went along with the song and i was like oh she's black that's awesome (laughs) um and it wasn't you know it's not like i wouldn't have liked the song otherwise but it was cool to see a woman of color like represented in that space and in that sound well, I feel that, I mean, it's infinite. There's so many, like, black people. I told my A&R guy when he first saw me, I said, black people are so vast. We do so much because they have <laughs> Conquer Records, has Stax Records, they have Rounder, they have so many different record labels. And he at first wanted to sign me to Stax. I said, please don't sign me to Stax. I love Stax with all my heart. I listen to Stax every day, and I do. I honestly do. I listen to Stax every day. But I said, if you sign me to Stacks, then it's going to put a stamp on me because of the, the skin color that I'm in that, you know, people will automatically assume that what I'm going to do is soul. And I said to him, you know what? I'm going to do soul. I'm going to rock out. I'm going to do country. I'm going to do blues. I'm going to do all of that. But I don't need my label stamping me saying that this is what you're going to do. The success of Old Town Road may have moved the needle somewhat in opening up minds to the idea of black country. It even led to the creation of a sort of joking Twitter hashtag, the Yeehaw Agenda, about bringing black people into cowboy culture. But Dina says that the cowboy motif in that song is rooted in black history. You know, my grandparents were... uh, Black farmers, my mom has four brothers, they wear cowboy boots, they have hats, they work in the pasture with the cows. You know, that's just, that's normal. 
for us. You know, I don't know if it has to do historically with the fact that people don't realize that African-Americans have a rural experience. Not that you have to have a rural experience to sing country music, but I'm from Kansas and my mother's parents were African-American farmers. And so that's all they played was country music as well. I know that you are many things in terms of the music that you that you make and, and that you write, but would you consider yourself a country music artist? Yeah, in the sense of old country. I don't necessarily feel like I'm a modern country artist, but I love old country music. I love it. <laughs> I'm just as much a country artist as I am a soul artist, a rock and roll artist, and a blues artist, though. So, yeah, I'm a country artist, but I'm also all the other artists that I just named. <laughs> but really... Just a singer-songwriter. So I think the most fascinating thing about all of this is this issue has sort of exploded into the open. And I think it maybe has been discussed in Nashville a little bit, but this is also a town that a lot of times likes to sweep, like, quote-unquote, controversial topics under the rug and be like, hey, we're this, like, one big happy family. So the fact that this became such a huge story has now just put this spotlight on the genre. I think a spotlight that is kind of unwelcome to a lot of the you know gatekeepers and decision makers that we were talking about. As again, who gets to be considered country? How black artists have been, you know, their contributions to the genre in the past have been ignored or sidelined. What that means for today and what may change for the future. And that also means opening up country music to more black listeners. White people are the ones who are buying the tickets to go see the shows. There's just starting to be a beautiful group of very magical Black people that are actually coming out to my shows, and it's exciting. It's like, wow, yeah. (laughs) And one Black girl even came up to me after a show in Detroit, and she said, thank you for representing all of us magical Black girls. And I was like, I know that we are magical and that we are out there and that we are listening, you know. If you have something that moves people's hearts and it's speaking the universal language, then you can break all of those barriers that any limited gatekeeper or like industry or whatever would try to have. Because if the music is moving people, then that's why, you know, that's when things start to transcend and that's when things start to shift because hearts are opening and the music is moving people. Valerie June is a singer-songwriter. Emily Yar writes about entertainment for The Post. And Dina Bennett is the senior curator at the National Museum of African American Music in Nashville. It opens in 2020. And now, one more thing. Last week, Disney announced that singer Halle Bailey will play Ariel in the new live-action adaptation of The Little Mermaid. And some people were angry that this classic Disney princess will be played by someone Black. 
they began tweeting hashtag not my Ariel and suggesting that an actress with light skin and red hair must play Ariel in order to look like the Little Mermaid in the original 1989 cartoon. I'm Danielle Paquette, the West Africa Bureau Chief for The Washington Post in Dakar, Senegal. And Danielle says that in West African folklore, mermaids had been celebrated for six centuries. In fact, when the Danish author Hans Christian Andersen published The Little Mermaid in 1837, people across Africa were already swapping tales about Mami Wata. She's this ancient West African water spirit who is often depicted with long flowing hair, snakes around her neck, and a fishtail. Unlike Disney's Ariel, she's not always sweet. She's bold, she has a temper, she can sink your ship if you don't pay her respect. She can also give women the ability to have a baby if they're having trouble. She's this interesting mix of good and bad. People here both fear and admire that. Shrines to this ocean goddess line the historic slave coast of Western Africa, from Senegal to Ghana to Angola. Historians think figureheads on the bows of trade ships might have influenced her image. These days, she pops up in rap songs and in Beyonce performances. She can represent this powerful love or feminine wiles or just pure destruction. I saw giant paintings of her for sale here in Dakar. They sell for the equivalent of about 4,000 US dollars. Mami Wata is this folklore legend who also happens to be a cultural icon. So, as hashtag NotMyArial was trending in the U.S., Twitter users here were posting pictures of Mami Wata. The general feeling is, mermaids can be white or black or whatever a storyteller wants them to be. Danielle Paquette is the West Africa bureau chief for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Our executive producer is Madalika Sika. Our senior producer is Matt Collette. Our producers are Alexis Diao, Rina Flores, Lena Mohammed, Maggie Penman, Jordan Marie Smith, and Ted Muldoon. Our intern is Renny Svernovsky. The Post Director of Audio is Jess Stahl. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from The Washington Post. 